I don't know if you guys talked about this last week because I didn't oh. listen. Did oh, you talk thanks. about that? Thanks for listening to the pod. Lisa. Yeah, sorry. I had the vid. I was dying. Um, so you'll have so to forgive so me. So your ears were broken. Everything was broken. If you are not getting educated about the housing market, whether you are in finance, a house inspector, an attorney, a lender, or of course, a real estate agent, you are doing yourself and your clients a disservice. Ivy Zellman, Lisa once said, we would never suggest that a real estate company could be successful without fully understanding local market trends, but ignoring macro trends or assuming they do not carry the same weight would be an equally erroneous suggestion. In our experience, the most effective industry leaders appreciate and appropriate balance between the two ends of the spectrum. This is Knowledge Brokers Podcast. I'm Byron Lazine, and I'm with Lisa Chinati. We went out to Fenway the other night, and Tom Tool has still not recovered. So despite the fact that we didn't have a drink, Lisa, we didn't even have a drink. So I don't know what, what, what his problem is. Actually, um, he did. He was pounding uh, high noons. Oh, that's right. The nooners. He was fully embracing the Dave Portnoy of Boston. Uh, he will not be with us, but we've got a lot to cover, Lisa. We can start in a number of directions. Uh, we've got, you know, we did have a uptick in inventory, albeit a slight one this week. We have mortgage demand that was up for the first time in weeks. That was a welcome sign as rates dropped down to 7%. And in the last couple of days, we've had a, a what seems to be a changing jobs market. Uh, obviously, for real estate professionals, there's some big news out of NAR this week. We could touch on that if you wanted to, Lisa. But let's start with jobs. I think that's the best place to start. It's the uh, most fresh information here on this Friday, September the 1st. Reading from Wall Street Journal, job gains eased in the summer months. Unemployment increased in August. So U.S. employers added 187,000 jobs last month, while payrolls in June and July were revised down a combined 110,000. The Labor Department reported this morning. This is on Friday, September the 1st. Over those three months, 150,000 jobs were added monthly on average, down from 238,000 average gain on March through May. So unemployment went up basically from 3.5% in July to now 3.8%. This typically when you hear unemployment going up, you like, uh, don't like that. Don't like the way it sounds. 3.8% is still very low. And it actually increases the odds that Jerome Powell and the FOMC could create a soft landing environment as opposed to a massive you know, recession and, and huge break in the lob, uh, job market. If job unemployment just trickles up, a softening of the job market, that increases those chances. So Lisa, is this good news or bad news for knowledge brokers in the housing market? I mean, I look at it as insanely positive. Um, yeah, I was sitting out on our sales floor right before I came in here and chatting with our uh, in-house lender who was kind of saying that he was stoked and kind of sharing some of his projections for where he sees rates going. And he thinks that we might be looking at really, really good rates for buyers before the spring market hits. Um, so that's like insanely powerful. And what I was think his we reason all behind that though? Um, so he doesn't think we'll necessarily see a, that the feds will, you know, cut rates in this, you know, next cycle. 
but that the increases are potentially going to come to an end. I actually kind of think that that might be true as well. I think that looking at what's happened over the past couple of days, I think you and I were sitting together at the Red Sox game and we, in one single like week, like the volatility is just crazy, right? And we just yeah. need to get to stability. But we went from like seven and a half to some of my local lenders were offering rates below 7%. Like that's crazy. A half a point swing in one week is not good, right? Even though it's a lowering, I think the thing that we need to think about most is that stability, predictability is absolutely critical to help both buyers and sellers feel confident about the decisions that they're going to make on a move forward. And so the soft landing, the ability to have the Fed just kind of take a take a step back and let things really shake out could give us the stability that we need. Yeah, if you took owner's equivalent rent out that make believe um survey that they go off of for the majority of uh shelter and shelter makes up you know a th just over a third of cpi we'd actually be at 2.6 uh percent today which would be yep. not far off from the two percent number that they're trying to get to on inflation i mean two points there are there are some out there that believe you know if you listen to some of the talking heads on cnbc and other places they're like hey i'd be cool with two and a half percent steady inflation. I, I know the, the Fed isn't coming off at of 2%. So this isn't something coming from Jerome Powell and the FOMC. They're steadfast on 2%. Absolutely. But, but the fact that we're probably more likely at 2.6 today than, you know, closer to four is a, is a good, is a good sign for the future. It, it does mean that in inflation, we're going to win the battle against inflation. If you believe that owner's equivalent is garbage, like I do, if, if you actually like having lagging data uh, in that number, um, th then then I guess you think inf inflation is a little bit stickier. Lisa, going back to the jobs real quick, um, I'm seeing more people reaching out to me. I had a conversation at nine o'clock this morning from somebody who I interviewed in the past. Now she is currently employed, um, but I... I you know, she's asking about opportunities. I get the sense that she doesn't feel confident long-term in her employment, okay? And so, meaning, you know, am I going to have this job going into next year? Yep. That's just a, you know, a one-off. But, but there's other examples I can point to in talking to business owners and talking to leaders in the industry that there is, there is a sense out there that there's a little bit more layoff coming. I pointed, I think last week um, when you took the pot off, I pointed to the fact that there are a lot of these uh, recruiting agencies or advertising firms that, that work with employers to go out and find interviews that were in their jobs and in, in their, not their jobs, their earnings report, actually getting rid of staff Yep. going into the fourth quarter. So they don't believe that there's going to be, you know, an increase in hiring or, or, or ne anywhere near the level of the last couple of years, if they're decreasing staff, um, is this a trend that you expect to continue in the fourth quarter in the winter and going into next year? 
I actually do. Uh, I know you and I kind of spoke briefly about this while we were hanging out at the Red Sox game the other night, but I'm kind of seeing it in some of the staff positions that we're looking to fill. It's been an interesting shift, and I'd say really in the past two weeks, right? Uh, going back, go back eight weeks, and I'd say that the majority of the candidates that we were interviewing were probably much like yours, where they were in a job looking for different opportunities. Really, really interesting switch in the past two weeks. A good chunk of the applicants, and I don't have an exact number or percentage, but I do. I can tell you without a doubt, it's an it's an increase where folks are currently not employed, um, and a lot of them have been laid off and have been kind of saying that they didn't leave their last position because of their own choice, which I find fascinating. One of the other trends that's come up, and it's been the bane of my existence, um, is that there's been a little bit of desperation to take jobs. Um, so I've had in the past uh, six weeks, I've had folks accept positions, stay for a week and then get a better opportunity and actually leave after less than two weeks of employment with us. And what it kind of tells me is that they were nervous that there might not be other opportunities that were out there, which is why they took a lesser opportunity or one that wasn't necessarily fully ideal. Um, instead of waiting, if I think back even six months when we were interviewing folks and there's been a couple of times where we've made job offers and candidates have said, you know what, it's not the ideal job or it's not the ideal comp plan or it's not whatever. I don't want, and a big part of it for us is that we are fully in person and we had been struggling to find people that were interested in fully working in person versus fully remote or hybrid opportunities. And they would just say straight up no to those opportunities. But now they're saying yes, not necessarily sticking. But I think it's pointing to a little bit of a shift in the labor market. Interesting stuff kind of buried into that jobs report as well. Um, Yellow Corp Trucking. I don't know if you guys talked about this last week because I didn't no. listen. Did oh, you talk thanks. about that? Thanks for listening to the pod. Lisa. Yeah, sorry. I had the vid. I was dying. Um, so you'll have so to forgive So me. your ears were broken. Everything was broken. <laughs> All right. Tell us about Yellow, Yellow Corp. Uh, Yellow Corp Trucking filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in August, and that uh, ended jobs for 30,000 workers. And I think it's fascinating to think about what it means when a trucking company files for bankruptcy. Yeah, that's that's actually surprising to me. Right. And I think kind of like when we were talking at the Red Sox game about what it means when companies like Wise Hire and some of those other um, companies that deal with employers seeking employment are starting to reduce staff. What does it mean when a trucking company starts to not just reduce staff, but can't afford to stay in operations? I mean, that tells me that, that for whatever reason, the, the consumer is spending less, we're going to be shipping less. I mean, that, that seems shocking to me in a world where everybody's ordering on Amazon and, and these type of things that maybe it's particular to that one company. Like you're saying, maybe it's something operationally there or, or it is a trend on the consumer market you know, when we look at inflation, that'd be a good sign if we're going to be spending less. 61% of Americans reported this week in CNBC are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, so we don't we don't want that to turn into a, a better, a bigger credit situation. Uh, to touch on your points about the job here, you know, it was it was interesting, you know, a year or two ago when when a lot of employees just really 
were making they they had you know a market changes right and a job market changes like any other market um were making some pretty significant demands about where they work when they show up how much they work how much they want to get paid and some some employers acquiesce to those demands and now the market has shifted back uh to where you as an employee you don't have the benefit of a government buffer uh or or a stimulus right we, we don't have that kind of money flowing through the system so it's a little less common to see unless you have and listen it always comes down to a value proposition if your value is so high that you can you know increase those demands the employer is going to have to make a decision on whether they can find that value somewhere else for the same cost or whether they should meet the cost it's it's a true meritocracy and a, and a negotiation between an employee and an employer and, and now you're just seeing a lot less of it now uh and and i think that's you know creating a, a more competitive environment there's also uh, a lot of employees um right now who are being called back into the office so last night we had a party here uh in connecticut which you bailed on lisa by the way uh and i was talking to someone and she said her husband has been working from home for eight years so it wasn't a pandemic thing when he started working from home they were remote workers you know five years before the pandemic started that's just been the way uh, his employment has always been and starting Tuesday after the Labor Day holiday, he has to go back into the office for the first time in eight plus years because, wow. you know, it's not just, hey, we, we sent you home for the pandemic and those companies are calling you back. This has become more normal than not for employers to say, you need to be in the office today because we need to get everything out of our P&L. And if, you know, if we're losing 25% of communication, you know, or productivity, because there's a gap in where you are located and, and where the hub of the company is located, we need you to get back here. So after eight years, uh, this guy, he went, he's going shopping this weekend, like it's back to school. He's like, I don't even have anything to wear to, to go to the office. And That's so, amazing. Yeah, you've got a lot of employers that are uh, going old school, like a lot of brokers right now are, are going old school and a lot of teams uh, or, or, you know, traditional measures to to drum up business. That maybe is a great segue into yeah. something we didn't kind of future pace through, but uh, a really good point, I think, to dig into as we near what is the I've been calling it the shoulder season here in the office and people are like, the what? And I'm like, we're in that. uh that in-between period, right? We're in between the spring summer market and we're not quite in winter market, but yeah. definitely feeling as though the seasonality is about to be upon us. And I know you and I and Tom Tool were talking about it the other day with exactly what is it going to take in order to continue to get market share, increase business and get deals done in the down season. And I think a lot of it is Everything that we were talking about is the stuff that we did in 17, 18, 19, right? It's even even the years before too. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us were not really in the business then. But um, but it's interesting to think about from the perspective of those that have dug in so heavily into automation um, and AI and tech to be able to do some stuff. And I 
I think, again, I know, I think we've said it before, actually, I know we've said it before, that those things are going to be, they're an important tool within business, but I think agents need to be more careful than ever not to lean so heavily into all of that, especially right now. Yeah, not to go and and just chase something because it's new and fresh, like, you know, when, um, yep. when project management software came out, it's like, everybody's like, are you using Trello or are you using Monday or are you using... Asana, yeah. And then it's like agents would go and try all three. They'd have like three different project boards on three different platforms. And we're going to get in and we're going to get into that kind of world here with AI um, where it's like, there's some cool stuff. And like Pantana talked about at the TF summit that you and I were both at in Dallas last week, where you can, you know, edit a video, you know, the trouble I have with, with that. So you can edit a video with AI where you can take, it'll transcribe the video and you can actually move the last sentence to the first sentence that now yes. edits the video in real time and becomes the hook. Um, the, the, the one issue I have with that is like, if, if salespeople, if agents are going to be like, oh my gosh, that's going to make my video editing easier, meaning right. I'm going to have a better finished product. It's still going to be very time consuming to actually go through it. You might save 20% of the time that you were putting in if you were editing your own videos. The point is sales agents and business professionals who generate their income off of sales 100% shouldn't be editing video. Okay, they, they I mean, this, these are tools that the video editors should use to make themselves 20 25% more proficient. Um, and, it, and it shouldn't be the salesperson being like, Oh, my gosh, uh, I can just go out there and edit all these videos because you start to trick yourself that you're working. And, and as opposed to doing those traditional measurements, Paige Steckling was on the walkthrough yesterday on, on the BAM channel. And Paige is very, I don't know if you know Paige, Lisa? No, don't know Paige. So Paige is in Utah. She's very popular on Instagram. I don't, I don't know how many followers she has, but it's in the like 60 plus thousand range. She does really fantastic listing videos. And she's like, you know, everybody now that reaches out to me with a question or, or what have you will ask me about, you know, what I'm doing on these videos and, and my Instagram to drum up business. And she's like, guys, no, no, the Instagram is a byproduct of the last 10 years of being in this business. I'm able to show fancy homes on Instagram because of the amount of follow-up and just relentless follow-up with potential sellers or people who had access to listings that I've done over a 10-year career. And now I'm, you know, looking fancy on Instagram because of all that work and the work that continues. If I get a, you know, she's, she gets a lead on Instagram or somewhere else, you know, she'll take it from the DM into other methods of follow-up. And it's and it, and that's what the listing agent, the the primary uh, listing agents in anyone's market, the top one percent listing agents. They are obsessive in the follow up. I was telling the story to you that I I went on a listing appointment a couple of weeks ago for the first time in years with an agent on the team. I want I want to get deeper into the process with with the team in Connecticut. And they called, the seller called to say that we lost on a coin flip. There was, they interviewed four agents and that it came down to two, they couldn't decide. So they flipped a coin and, and we lost on the coin flip. 
Now, most agents, Lisa, would take that as gospel. Oh, I lost on a coin flip. Can't control that. Hey, if you need anything, I'm always here for you. No, I spent 45 minutes on the phone with that seller, you know, handling the objection of the coin flip. The coin flip isn't reality. Yes, in reality, they flipped a coin and, you know, we were heads and it came up tails. But all that is is an objection that I need now, now need to handle. Okay, do we want to gamble with the fact that you can make 10% more on your money with us than with the competition? Are you going to leave that to the casino, the flipping of the coin? And I convinced in a 45-minute conversation that seller to go back and have another conversation with his wife before he signs the paperwork and then have another, you know, have another opportunity to win the deal. And it's that type of relentless, obsessive behavior to follow up and stick it out on the phone until you see the listing get posted as coming soon on your MLS that wins in this market. That's the stuff that's never going away no matter what AI. Because if you're passionate about your knowledge and your ability to serve and your ability to actually get the eyeballs on the listing that the, you know, that the 25% remaining, you know, so you've got 75% of eyeballs that are going to go through Zillow and the other major portals. If you actually are passionate about your ability to open up the other 25%, then you should never stop hunting for it. Because I often will, you know, I'll tell a seller, if you want somebody to list your home and capture 75% of the market, do it yourself and save the full commission list on Zillow personally. Because here's the numbers. If you want somebody to aggressively attack that last quarter where your buyer might be and expose it to, to the majority of the market so that you can increase your opportunity, obviously, on a higher price, then this is why you're going to pay the commission. And right. this also is going to become an important conversation as we get into some of the commission stuff later on uh, in the year and, and going into next year. But it's the same across the board, right? It's not just the coin flip. I, we've talked about it. It's those sellers, even on the other side, for those that do opt to find that, to take the route of what you just suggested with the listed on your own on the Zillow and take advantage of 75% of the market. I'd still say that even when the seller does that, that that relentless follow-up shouldn't stop because the odds that the seller finds the buyer in that 75% are not 100%. And the opportunity still exists. And it, I think it's, go. Yeah, could, no, go ahead. I was said, I was going to say, I think it's super powerful for sellers to realize those agents that are still committed to keeping a relationship and working with the seller while they navigate that process versus those that are like, peace, you're going to go your own different direction. I'm no longer going to follow up and keep a relationship, but I'm going to come back when you call me. Commission breath versus relationship, right? Absolutely. And don't be afraid to use the script, the line, the story, whatever you want to call it in a listing pitch that says, Hey, you should go list it yourself on Zillow. If you only want to capture, you know, three out of four buyers that put, you know, potentially would look at your home because they'll sit back and be like, Whoa, haven't heard that one before, by the way, because not too many agents are going to have the confidence to sit there and say that it builds instant credibility and trust. And then the next thing that goes through their mind is often, well, you know, I still need help with the negotiation, the, the 
you know, the consult of how to get the house ready for sale, you know, the, the photography, the, all the other layers, the inspection process that they realize how much in that moment, how much other work is there because you've already articulated it in your pitch and how you have the team or, or, you know, whatever your, your vendor support is to go and get that deal done. And it just emphasizes how much more they actually need you when you do the other angle. Like Mark Davison says from uh, thousand watt, he says a lot of times wrong is right. So a lot of times what you're afraid to say with confidence is actually the right thing to say because it's the, it's the, it's, it's off script. It's off, um, you know, if they're going to interview three agents, a lot of times they're going to hear a very similar conversation. Okay. When you take the other approach, Hey, go ahead, list it yourself, save the, uh, commission. You'll capture three out of four buyers. By the way, Zillow is more Googled than real estate and real estate agent right now. So just give them that information. Don't hide it from them. Cause the other two agents are going to say, Oh, Zillow. Oh, you hate Zillow. You hate your estimate. Yeah. I hate Zillow too. Right. And, and as opposed to addressing the obvious that they've got the, the biggest brand in, in the marketplace. Well, and I mean, it, what you've also said is also a phenomenal sales technique. It's reverse psychology, right? The consumer expects you to be, keep pushing through when they say, well, maybe I'm just going to list on my own. And there's a really powerful sales technique when you can flip the script on the consumer and kind of toss them backwards a little bit and say, maybe you're right. Maybe that is the best way to go. And it, it's something every salesperson should read into. It's not always the right strategy to use, but there are times and places where reverse psychology and sales is one of the most powerful aspects of sales scripting that you can leverage. And then that reverse psychology often will lead into a deeper conversation around the subject. And that's where it's, it's, you know, on a, presentation or a pitch, it's important to have relatable stories. I've got a lot of relatable stories from my own personal experience of listing my own home. I did it last year. I listed a, a property I own in Connecticut, completely screwed it up. Aw, awful listing agent, by the way, for my own property, because I'm not a listing agent at that point. I'm a for sale by owner. Right. Lisa. Yeah, of course. Completely screwed it up. Um, I had to basically get out of the deal. I used some creative um, text messaging when I'm dealing with the buyer directly. And I'm like, and I just basically got him fired up. I said, why don't you just rescind your offer then? He goes, fine, I will. I said, great, put it in writing. And, and I got him out of the deal. And then I said to Nicole and Tim, I said, Nicole, you have to list the property because I am a psychotic for sale by owner. I have no right negotiating with these people. I, I got the inspection report from my fire off a text. I'm like, what are you insane? I'm like, I would never do that as an agent, but I'm the seller. Okay. And this is what, this is what sellers do. Um, yep. when they're dealing directly with, with the buyer, you know, I, so interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you personally do your deals. It's easier from the buy side, but, um, certainly not from the list side, not from the list side. It, there's too much emotion and there's too much, uh, personal, stuff at stake, I guess. I'm going to circle back one, one more thing. When you had said Zillow is more Googled than Realtor, it's an interesting thing. We've been uh, toying around with some of our keywords for anybody who's uh, you know, doing Google pay-per-click. I know you do. One of the things that we've been kind of tinkering with is using the search term Zillow 
but also putting into play how much consumers actually know about Zillow and the the misspellings of Zillow have actually led to some really great search traffic for us on our pay-per-click ads. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah. Z-I-L-L-O, skip the W, um, and Zillow with just one L. Some really interesting results come from that. So potentially what Lisa's saying is potentially running a uh, Google PPC ad around Zillow without the W agents. Right. Okay. Or Zillow homes in right. uh, X market. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Uh, Lisa, what else do you want to touch on here? We had uh, we had mortgage demand increase. I don't know. We kind of touched on mortgages uh, with the rate coming down. Demand increase kind of ahead of schedule before the rate's coming down. So that might be a, p- a potential positive for September. Um, what else? Or do you want to touch on the NAR stuff? Wh- which direction do you want to go to, to wrap up? Oh, I love watching you talk about NAR. You want me to talk about it? <laughs> Lisa, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually more, uh, you know, because I am a NAR member. You are not a NAR member, so. Well, uh, 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 I am NAR in New Hampshire and Connecticut. Those two states will not oh, let me yeah. out. But in not the in state, yeah, the state Massachusetts, ironically, does not require me to be realtor, and I have very strong feelings um, about NAR and the value of NAR in a couple of different levels, in addition to all the stuff that's going on. But I'm opted out in Massachusetts. I, for maybe different reasons than most think, um, I don't believe that NAR actually serves the agents. And we're asking agents to pay $700 a year for something that I don't think impacts the average agent at the level that they claim to. The, the the far majority of your agents are single license in mass, right? I think. No, there's probably uh, 50% are dual licensed in New Hampshire. Probably 15% are just licensed in New Hampshire. So that leaves me, what, 35% are solely licensed in mass. Um, okay. So you have that many that are, that are New Hampshire and, and mass. I um, do. Yeah. Okay. Um, but for those that are just licensed in Massachusetts for you, they have a significant savings on Without their on their dues, you know, because they don't have dues every nope. year. So they're, they're going to pay MLS and, and kind of that's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, it was a we made the decision in 2020 um, and the decision was really I, I actually spoke to our uh, realtor board in Massachusetts as I was making the decision. And I ran the numbers and I said, you know, at that point we were 50 or 60 agents and I ran the numbers, $700 times 50 is still a lot of money. It's like what, like $35,000. And, you know, I had to look at them and say, what value are you delivering to on, on a couple of levels? So one, what value are you delivering to my company that represents $35,000 a year in expenses? What value are you delivering to my agents that represents $700 a year, right? And a lot of these agents are, they're younger, they're brand new to the industry. And I personally believe that that $700 annual fee is part of why the failure rate is at 85%. I think it's, if you look at it, an agent needs to sell homes in order to be able to afford that. And 
you know, depending on your average price, there's a big difference between your average price and my average price, but $700 isn't nothing. No, I mean, that's a lot of money for less than 700. You can come see us at BAM camp on September 20th in Naples. And that would be, that that would be, that would be far more value than you're going to get from the $700 that, you know, you're talking about of, of joining one of those boards. So, uh, yeah, go on to nowbam.com and sign up for BAM camp. If you're a BAM X member, you actually get 25% off of the ticket price. So it'll be far less than the $700. And we have a code right now for BAM X members use labor to get 15% off of BAM X through Labor Day weekend. Yeah, Lisa, it was interesting today. They stood by the CEO. I saw that there were some interesting texts in my text groups. Uh, yeah, I was in one of those. Uh It's interesting because if this were to happen at almost any other corporation in America today, in the climate and the culture that we have, where you had a, uh, a senior, the president of the company who reports directly to the CEO have 29 allegations. And, and I go 29 plus, because if you read the New York times expose in the comment section of the New York times, you had former NAR employees, or they say they were former NAR employees, obviously. So accusing and piling on on top of the 29, hey, I wasn't one of the 29, but I witnessed this, this, and this. And so it's it seems like it's 29 plus accusations in any other corporation in America. And NAR's the biggest association, 1 billion in assets, 1.5 million uh, paying members. Biggest uh, nonprofit association, nonprofit association in America. Any other big corporation, uh, you know, would have a CEO who also, you know, has to have some accountability here. And and not to mention, this is a lame duck CEO. He's already announced his retirement by the end of 2024. So they should just kind of make that an early retirement and go ahead and get some new blood. It seems like the obvious choice, but. Like they swept the first, you know, they they settled that lawsuit in nine days that came out in June, which kind of kicked this whole thing off. Like they swept that under the rug. They're now trying to like make this go away. It seems like nope, we're stick, we're sticking with Bob. We're moving forward. You know that he he doesn't believe Bob has said he doesn't believe that there's a you know a systemic problem at NAR. This feels a little Deshaun. Watson to me, who got the big contract from Cleveland. It's like when it gets into like the double digit numbers, I got to believe that, you know, a percentage of these are telling the truth. I can't imagine there's 29 accusers that are banding together and and making this up. I guess that is possible, but very unlikely to me. Um, And so you, you, you see people do things and then for whatever reason, like Deshaun Watson, they still get awarded. And I don't know that Bob, Goldberg has the Sean Watson talent. You know, the I, I made a statement on Hot Sheet this morning. I would only stick with Bob if he said 100% of the dues are going to go towards protecting buyer agency in this country. We're going to cut Hava's marketing group budget from $46 million down to zero. We're pushing it all into the best attorneys on planet Earth to protect buyers in affordable price ranges because that gets that's who gets hurt the most when you start messing with buyer agency. We're going to fight this fight against DOJ and, and the antitrust, and we're going to fix the problems that we have at NAR 
I'm the right person to lead that charge because of this, this, and this, then I'd say, all right, he knows the system. He's, he's completely reallocating budget to fight the biggest issues of today. Um, let him finish out his term, but he hasn't articulated that. Hava's marketing group is still making 46 million a year to do what? To get more members to replace the members that are leaving because they don't have the training and the support to actually stay in the business because we have too many members. So it's, it's, it's a, you know, we talk a lot about, um, well, and can I also point out that they don't even need the marketing budget? Yeah. It's horrid because we're required. You don't have a choice in Connecticut. I don't, I don't have a choice in New Hampshire. Why do we need to advertise for it? Because I don't have a goddamn choice. Well, they're advertising to just continue. It's such a low bar, right? Like, let's just get more people into the system because once you get your license, then you find out, like in my state and many states, I need, to, I need the MLS. I have a license. Oh, to get MLS, I need local board. Oh, to get local board, I need NAR. You don't get one of the three without the other. If you want to be, if you want to be a practicing salesperson. Oh, I know, but it, it's, I, I don't think that taking away any of that advertising decreases the number of people that get into the industry. And therefore I don't think there's, I don't know, whatever. So I'm salty about it. I think it sucks. I, I, I don't think it's pro agent. It, it bothers me. I, I think there's more to the story. I'd be shocked if we're sitting here going into 2024 with Goldberg, I guess I shouldn't say I'm shocked because it's been a, um, a good old boys club for years there. But um, I gotta, I gotta imagine there's going to be there's a lot of digging, a lot of eyeballs. They've got the crosshairs. Nar has crosshairs on him from everywhere, from the DOJ, uh, from these lawsuits. That, you know, attorneys, consumers, now members, pointing directly at them, and we'll see if Bob sticks it out here. Uh, the rest of the year. It's amazing though, these CEOs from NAR, when they actually do retire, they still end up on payroll in the seven figure range for two to three years after. Their severance package lives well beyond their, their term for a nonprofit. I don't know. Anyway. All right, Lisa, I think we'll have we'll have Tom next week. Just looking at the schedule here. We should have Tom next week. You're going to be here next week. Well, I am, but I need to adjust time because it is my monthly all company meeting. So we'll figure it out. So next week's the eighth. The week after that's the 15th. You and I are supposed to be in California. You're committed to going to realtor.com in California. And I have, I am booked by the way. You'll um, appear because <laughs> I, I heard they've offered you free golf. So, so yeah, well, that's true. Me and you be out there. We'll have to connect with Tom and figure that one out. And then, the following week is BAM Camp, so make sure you get your tickets. We're going to be doing a live knowledge. Two shameless pod. plugs in one podcast. Yeah, why not? Well, why you not? put my picture after Tom Tool's picture in the last uh, promo for it, so cutting. Yeah, off you got it. I mean, I plugs. I said on the last pod if Tom and I were dating, and so I you know I bump him up on the ladder here. Him and I would be. Hmm. He'd be my first choice to date out of the two of you, Lisa. <gasps> <laughs> Remember when you used to be, what year was that when I said oh, you were my, my real estate love? What did I say? You were my favorite person. What, what was my, that was 22. That wasn't even a year ago. A lot changes after you buy somebody Louis Vuitton, a lot wow. changes, you know, you okay. start, to, you start to see the other side, you buy somebody, you know, this is just a, uh, a tip for all the guys. The minute you buy somebody Louis Vuitton, 
then you see the other side. They've got the bag and and then uh, and they just don't care as much, you know. It's fine because you know what? Tom texted me that uh, I'm his new one-on-one accountability buddy. So uh, oh, Tom Toll did. Yep. I was on the call this morning. Yeah, no, but uh-uh. He texted me after we hung up, 854. You're my extra accountability partner for today. Notice you're not on that one. Notice he's not even on the pod. So um, that's all I got to say about, about that. We'll see you guys next week, Knowledge Brokers Pod. If, if you've uh, never hit that subscribe button here on the channel, do that. Do it immediately. It's just You just click it. It's, it's pretty simple. It won't hurt your finger. And we'd, and we'd love, love to have, have your subscription. We appreciate, appreciate all of you guys. guys. And, and I'll, I'll see, see you next week. week.